Um, God, we just uh, come to you knowing that you are more than uh, just everything that we can ever imagine. And uh, God, you're bigger than we can ever imagine. And I just pray that whatever we're going through this week, um, whatever we're going through tonight, that we would know, God, that you have it in control somehow. pray we wouldn't be scared to come to you we wouldn't be scared to talk to you and just to be honest with you because you're a God who can handle anything and God you love us more than we deserve and more than we can imagine amen you guys can have a seat thanks Chris thanks Tim sweet you said I could have your chair, but Josh wouldn't let me have it. <clears throat> so I bring my own. It's all right. Hey, good, good evening, guys. Uh, I'm kind of excited tonight. It's a, it's a little odd for me. Uh, this day has been kind of an odd day and a weird week, but I trust that God is, God is doing what he's doing. And tonight we're, um, you know, we're all kind of standing on this, this threshold of making decisions. And so every single one of you in here is making some decisions. And, and you know, um, you know, maybe you think they're just kind of little things, and maybe they are seemingly insignificant, but maybe some of you are making some huge decisions uh, that are really going to impact your life. And, and it's like we're all constantly making decisions. And, and so I think tonight I just really want us to, to kind of think about these decisions we make and think about why we make these decisions. And we're going we're gonna to look at the book of Esther, and we're just going to kind of take this fly over the book of Esther, and, uh, and then, but also really look at kind of the symbols behind it, the allegory behind the whole book, as well as a little bit about the history. But I think the thing about choices, um, where Esther made this choice where she just stepped out and said, uh, if I perish, I perish, and uh, she was willing to, to give her life uh, for Christ's sake, at that time, as she was looking forward to the Savior for her people, the Jews, really. And, and, and for us, I think so often we make choices, and I really want you to just think about, do you make choices based on how they affect you? Are they really driven by kind of, it's all about you, the lust of the flesh, maybe, that, you know, you, know, you need something more to be okay, or... Or uh, the pride of life, you know, something about like I need more for my image or for other people to accept me or, or I want to be compared to others and feel better, so that's why I make decisions. Or the lust of the eyes, I just want more than a half, okay? And, and so as you're making decisions, are you making them primarily based on how they affect you or how they, you think they'll affect you? Because I know if you're like me, um, at times that's how we make our choices, purely on what I think is best for me. That's the bottom line. And maybe it's your reputation, maybe it's your finances, maybe it's your career, uh, maybe it's just to please other people, but the decisions so often come back on what I think is best for me, and that's what I'm going to do, whatever I want to do, primarily for my sake, okay? Uh, primarily for your sake, and I'll put it in your laps that way. And because when we make decisions that way, as believers, if we know Christ is our Savior, as Christians, there's this little bit of anxiety. Um, I, I just notice that I get kind of disturbed. 
and I don't know quite how to, to describe it, but I get a little frustrated when I start making decisions just based all about me. And, uh, and I start wondering if I really chose the best thing. And, and we have this option, every single one of us, as you're making these decisions and you know what they are, to, to choose to, to surrender to Christ and to trust him or to make the decisions based on what you think is best. And it really takes getting to the place of holding all things loosely and really being willing to surrender your stuff and your reputation and what others think of you uh, and really trust that God will move. Um, you see, so often we're not even aware that God's moving in our lives. And so often we have this doubt that God is actually involved in our lives, that God is with us, and then something dramatic happens and all of a sudden we realize, oh, wow, God, you're here all the time. And yet we walk through life and we just wonder, is God really moving? And that's why I love about the book of Esther because the name of God's not mentioned once in the book of Esther. And, and, so, and yet you'll see his hand is all over this, all over this place. And, and for us, it, it takes us to really be willing to surrender our stuff and trust that God is guiding um, and, and really surrender to him in the decisions that we make. So as we look at this book... Uh, and, and really the theme of the summer for me on the weekends and what God's just pouring into me is if I perish, I perish. But I'm convinced that every one of you standing at those thresholds of decisions, every single one of you. And, and uh, often we're afraid to make decisions trusting God. We're afraid. Uh, frankly, we're afraid of trusting God. Uh, you see, we think we know what's best, and we can see and we can control things that, that are the physical, and we can see a path, and so we'll make decisions based on the path that we think is best because we're afraid to just trust this, this God who is spirit. And, and so I just really want you to think about that as you look at this book tonight and consider it as what decision is God challenging you to make? Um, and then will it be for your sake or for his sake? And... Um, when we trust him, it's often like walking into the dark because typically when God asks us to do something, he just shows us a step. And we want a whole lighted path for the whole direction, right? But it's just one step, and it's like a step into the darkness. And, uh, and then he shows us the next step and the next step and the next step. And so rather than kind of this common sense that we want to use because we can see the end of our decisions, it almost requires an uncommon sense, I would say. Because there's this sense that God is real, that God is spirit, that God is in control, that God is moving. But it's not common for people to live in that way. It's common instead for us just to live in the physical and to just focus on the physical and to make decisions based on what we can see. And uh, really not trust our Heavenly Father and not walk with Him. And, and so I, I really just challenge you as we look at that to think about the decisions. And then the other thing I ask you to think about is, is, is like, are you bored with life? Uh, and you maybe think those things don't go together, but they really do go together. Because I found um, that when I make decisions on my own for my sake, it's really quite boring. And I know every one of you has experienced that. If God's, if God's called you some grand adventure and you did something that was just trusting him and stepping out where he's leading, it's like incredible. It's so exhilarating. And just to kind of make decisions based on, oh, yeah, that makes sense, that makes sense, that makes sense. Uh, that's what's going to give me the best outcome in my life. That's what's going to help my reputation. That's what's going to help my finances. That's what's going to help my life get better. Is quite frankly uh, not that exciting. And uh, it's it's like trying to to uh, to uh, have Christianity without Christ. Really, 
trying to live the Christian life on your own. It's, it's pretty boring, quite frankly. And so if you're bored, maybe there's a little bit of adventure that God's calling you to that you've kind of run from. And because there's nothing more exciting than walking in the Spirit, okay? So the very first thing I want us to really realize as you're making decisions is know that God is involved. He is involved. And even though, like, his name is not mentioned in this book of Esther at all, there's no doubt about his presence. And I'm telling you, no matter how you think or how you feel about God in your life, he is not distant, okay? He is not distant. He is here, and he is real, and he is working in your life. And even though he may seem distant, even though he may seem like he's invisible, he is present, and he's invincible, and he's moving. He's not silent, and his will will be done. And so you may not think God is working, and you may not feel like he's working, and you may not see that he's working, but he is. So I want to encourage you with that, that God is involved. Uh, Matthew Henry said it this way about this book. He said, but though the name of God may not be mentioned in the book of Esther, the finger of God is directing every minute event for the bringing about of his people's deliverance. And I think it's important for us to realize that God is always the main character in your life. You just think you are. Okay? I know you think you are, but you're not. God is the main character. Um, Oswald Chambers kind of says it like we're, we act like pagans in a crisis, and there's only one out of an entire crowd that's daring enough to invest his faith in the character of God. Are you that guy, that gal? That one out of a crowd that's willing to invest your faith in the character of God. Uh, that's, that's the picture that I really want us to think about, this kind of uncommon sense, and make it personal. So just think about that. What's God challenge you to, to do? And, and think about maybe he's asking you to kind of step out into the darkness that doesn't make a lot of sense. And, and will you trust him or just trust yourself? Okay? So the book of Esther, um, you know, it's, it's before. If you have a, your Bible or just flip open on your, your smart pad, basically, you'll find it kind of before Psalms and, uh, and right before the book of Job. And the book of Esther... Uh, begins, and we're just going to read the first couple verses, and we'll just kind of pick up a few things there. But it took place in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned over India, from India to Ethiopia. He had 127 provinces that he reigned over. In those days, as King Ahasuerus sat on his throne, which was in Susa, the capital, in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his princes and his attendants, for the army officers of Persia and Media, for the nobles, for the princes, and for all in his province for being his presence. Father, we come to you tonight. God, I just pray that you would just speak to us by the power of your spirit. I pray that you would get me out of the way. I pray, God, that you would challenge each person here as they make decisions, as they live this life, that they would boldly walk by faith in you. And uh, I pray that every one of us would do that and uh, give us this grand adventure that you have designed us to, uh, to experience. And we just thank you for the privilege. So... To kind of give you a sense of the historical aspect of Esther, this book of Esther, the timing, uh, you know, like David kind of came and he, he, he brought together the kingdom of Israel, right? And then his son Solomon took over. Solomon had this time of peace, and Solomon turned his back on God in, in many ways and, and pursued uh, women and wealth and the things of this world. And, and after Solomon, the kingdom was split. And so you had the northern kingdom, which was Israel. You had the southern kingdom, which was Judah. And the armies of Assyria came in, and they judged uh, Israel for sin. Uh, more than 100 years later, Judah was also overrun. So if you look at the time, about 600 years before Christ, Nebuchadnezzar came in, and he deported the king of Judah. 
and took him back to Babylon. And then in about 586 B.C., Jerusalem was destroyed, and the Jews were taken into captivity. And this is the time where, like Daniel and his buddies, were, were taken into captivity. And Babylon fell in about 539 B.C. to the Medo-Persians. So the Babylonians who came in and destroyed Jerusalem and the Jews ultimately fell to the Medes, okay? And so this is kind of the history. And then in about 485 uh, B.C., Ahasuerus became the king over this empire. Now just think about this, okay? This is like, you know, 485 years before Christ about. Uh, and, and, and he was like one of the most powerful men on the planet. And how many of you think about Ahasuerus a lot? <laughs> right? Not. And I want you to realize that, that we're here just for a blink, okay? This time on this earth is very, very short. And that's why it's so exciting to me that we have the opportunity to make decisions for Christ's sake and to have this adventure with God. So at the time of Esther, as it's written, Ahasuerus has this huge kingdom, and, and the Jews are living in exile, a lot in Persia. And it's about 100 years after Jerusalem fell. But God has not forgotten his chosen people. He's not forgotten them. And so basically, if you want to just catch the book as an overview, and I just challenge you to read the book of Esther. You can read it in a setting. It's a fun story. It's, 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 it's great. So just dig it out and read the book of Esther. But basically what happens is Ahasuerus is, is the king, and he's over this huge kingdom, and Haman is his top guy, and Haman's a wicked guy, uh, but he's, he's his top man, and we'll look a little bit at Haman. Vashti's the queen, and Vashti disobeys the king, and upsets the king and his guys, and they end up uh, disposing her as king, and they choose a new king, and that's where they choose Esther. And Esther comes in, a new queen, yeah. Esther comes in, and she's the queen, and um, she is raised by a man named Mordecai, who was Jewish, and Esther was Jewish. And Haman, who is the top guy at this time, um, tries to kill all the Jews because he hates Mordecai. Plus, he has a real history all the way back to Esau, and we'll look at that a little bit, uh, where he's against the people of God. And Esther comes in, and she boldly goes before the king, and with Mordecai, she saves her people, okay? And so Esther comes to, to power as the queen just for this time. It's pretty cool to see how God does this. And so that's kind of the, the history of it, just in a broad, broad swoop. And, and it's, a, it's a fun, fun story to read, so I would encourage you to do that. And then we're going to look at the characters and really try and bring this back into our own decision-making. Um, Ian Thomas did a thing, uh, If I Perish, I Perish, a book. And it's kind of this allegory of Esther, and he uses kind of the symbols behind the historical events. And the Old Testament is just packed with symbolism. There's so many pictures, so many things tied in there that's so fascinating to dig into. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, this is history. This is real. This, is, this, this happened, and it's captured. But there's also all these things that God is teaching us as we do it. And we get the picture, we get kind of this type, this symbol to help unlock the message. And so we're going to kind of look at both of those today. But mostly uh, we're going to kind of, I just want you to think about the symbolism because I think it really, really lands close to home when we make decisions. So Ahasuerus, as I said, was the king. 127 provinces. Uh, he reigned from 486 B.C. to 465 B.C. He's one of the most powerful men on earth at that time. And he's a good picture of the soul of a man, the soul of a woman, okay, the soul, that part of us that's our real self. And, and you'll see why he's a good picture of it. The soul is like what you, your mind and your will and your emotions, what you think and what you choose and what you feel. 
And so here's the king in this palace reigning over this vast kingdom. And in the palace, they're making these decisions, right? And, and they're issuing these policies and they're passing these decrees and these laws and they're published. And what happens when those, those decisions are made and, they're, and they go into law is it impacts the whole kingdom, right? Everything in the kingdom is impacted. And the kingdom is a good picture of the body of a man or a woman, okay? So you have the soul, which you, you think, which you feel, which you make choices with, your real self, and then those choices impact what you do with your body, right? The decisions you make, where you go, what, how you live, who you trust, the, the things that you, you pick up and the things that you leave and how you live your life. And they're played out based on really what happens in, in our soul. What happens in our soul impacts then the rest of the body, okay? Does that make sense? So, so basically what happens a lot is, is what we believe kind of controls how we act. If you believe a lie and you act on a lie, that influences uh, everything else, and that's how you act. If you believe the truth, you act on it. And so here's this king in the palace. He's making decisions, and what he's thinking and what's controlling his thoughts and the people that are surrounding him and the people that have influence over him are the ones that are determining what happens in the kingdom. Okay? Does that make sense? So there, there's this kind of a picture. Now then there's this character called Haman. And Haman is a picture of the flesh. Okay? That part that's, that's against God, has enmity against God. That, that part of us that's trying to get all of our needs met apart from God. Uh, kind of this unredeemed humanity, if you will. The flesh never imp- improves, never gets better, ever. So here's Haman comes onto the scene, and Haman is like this wealthy, influential uh, guy who's like deeply entrenched in the palace. And Haman gets the, the, the top job in the kingdom, so he has the ear of the king. So all of a sudden, you see this, this kind of guy who's really against God and against the people of God impacting the king and his decisions, which then, of course, impact the whole kingdom. And everyone was, was forced to bow before Haman. Uh, Haman has access to the king. Haman impacts the king's decision and molds his thinking. And, and Haman is, is extremely prideful. So you kind of have this picture of how this story begins. You have this king representing our soul, right, as a picture, making decisions which impact the kingdom, but he's influenced by the flesh. He's influenced by Haman, this... This, this guy who is not godly, okay? He's influenced by this whole unredeemed man. And that's really how they make decisions, and that's how our book begins. And then we meet a character uh, called Mordecai, and Mordecai, is, uh, it means little man or man in his humility, and he's, he's a picture of the Holy Spirit, a picture really of Christ. And the story begins, and he's outside the palace, okay? He has no impact on the king. The king doesn't even know who he is, okay? He has, he has absolutely no influence over the kingdom. And he's outside of the palace. And, and, uh, and, and, and yet Haman, as they're all supposed to bow to him, Mordecai refuses to bow to Haman. And, and because of that, Haman hates him, and he, find, he hates all the Jews. Uh, that's a long historical reason why he hates the Jews, based on his background. But Galatians, Paul tells us, the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. They're in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things you please. And I think it's important for us to realize that there's a battle raging 
for each one of us, okay? And there's a war between the spirit and the flesh, and the flesh will never, ever, ever, ever improve. You can try all you want to make your flesh better, but it will never improve, okay? The only way to overcome the flesh is to walk in the spirit, to, to kill the flesh. The spirit is the enemy of the flesh, and the flesh is the enemy of the spirit. And so this picture, as we start the story of Esther, is you have this, this king, right? He's, he's totally influenced by Haman, representing the flesh, and that's impacting the kingdom, and the spirit is outside. Mordecai is outside. And, and that's kind of the picture. It's like a story of a person um, in their fallen condition. It's a story of people that we know, men and women, who do not know Christ as their Savior. They're making decisions based on what they know best, which is how they take care of themselves. And they're trying to get their own needs met. They never thought about turning to Christ. Okay, they, they don't have the Holy Spirit to listen to. So instead, what they're doing is they're making these thoughts in their mind and how they feel, and they're making these choices based on that, and it's impacting everything in their life. That's how the story begins. Okay, The wrong guys making, has the influence in the palace, and the right guys outside of the palace. Esther comes on the, the scene, and Esther's name means star, and she was orphaned. Could have very well been when, when uh, Jerusalem fell. She's raised by her cousin, Mordecai, and, and he raised her as his own daughter, and she's this picture of this human spirit under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And Esther uh, becomes the queen in the palace, and, uh, and there's like this battle going on that's playing out in, there, in, this, in this story behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, there's this huge battle between good and evil. And I tell you what, it's happening in your lives as well. We minimize the spiritual battle, but there's a spiritual battle between God and Satan. We know who wins. God wins. But there's a battle between good and evil. There's a battle between the spirit and the flesh. And as you're facing the decisions that you make, as you're facing how you're going to live your life, you have to deal with this battle. Are you going to trust the flesh, the things that you know, the things that you think are true, or are you going to trust the spirit? And every single one of us gets to, to face that as we go. So you just got to realize that. And as you read the book, realize that Haman is this wicked guy. His way is the way of death. And he hated the Jews. He's from Esau originally. And Esau rejected God's way of grace. He despised God's birthright for him. He wanted to earn his own way to God. And Haman was that, that guy. Uh, even in, in, uh, in Esther chapter 3, you kind of get a sense of Haman. All through this book, you see how he just hates the Jews. Uh, Esther 3... Verse 2, even, um, the king's servants were at the king's gate. They bowed down. They paid homage to Haman, for that's what the king had, had commanded. But Mordecai had neither bowed down nor paid homage. And uh, the king's servants at the king's gate said to Mordecai, why are you transgressing the king's command? And it was said that they spoke to him daily like that, and he would not listen to them. And they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's reason would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. He was one of the chosen people. That's why he didn't bow down to Haman. And Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage to him, and Haman was filled with rage. And he spends his life trying to kill this guy and kill his people. In chapter 9, verse 10, the ten sons of Haman, um, they, they, uh, or in chapter, yeah, they, they came and, and Haman planned to wipe out all the Jews. And uh, he tried to wipe out all the people, not just Mordecai. He went, oh, here it is. He, he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they told him that they, who the people of Mordecai were. Therefore, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, who were throughout the whole kingdom of Hazarus. Do you get the picture? So here's this Haman guy, and he's trying to destroy the people of God. 
That's just the way it is. And I think it's important for us to realize that when we think about our lives, as we're designed to have this relationship with God. We're designed to walk with Him. We're designed to be in this intimate relationship with Him. That's how we were created. That's how we were designed. And we're designed to have this, 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 this sense of God's Spirit directing our lives. But instead, we're raised in this world, and we're raised to learn to count on ourselves and to trust ourselves and to only do what we think is best, just like the picture of the book. Haman's in the king, in the, in the palace. Haman is impacting the king. That's impacting the kingdom, not Mordecai, not the spirit. And until you have a change of government, nothing changes. Nothing changes. Um, because of sin, there's separation and there's death, and you become dead to the things of God. And that's really what we see here. The story begins with the wrong man in the palace and the right man outside. And the only hope is to completely change the government, to change who's controlling the soul, which is your thoughts, your mind, right, and your feelings, and your choices. And you need to change that. And that's how you change what happens in your body and in your life. The Holy Spirit has to come in, and the Holy Spirit has to be in control. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what Christ died for, so we could have a relationship with God, so he could get himself back within us. That's the exchange life. We exchange our life for his life. Does that make sense? So just to kind of capture that, and I just want to close with this, because I want us now to bring it back again to where we started. So you got this king. He's making these decisions based on what he thinks is best for himself based on what's driven by the flesh, okay, this man Haman. And that impacts everything he does. You have the Holy Spirit, Mordecai in this picture, outside of the palace. And the only way to change the behavior of the king is to change who he learns from and listens to and believes. And he needs to change the government, and that's ultimately what happens when Mordecai comes into the palace. And everything changes through that as Esther um, <laughs> surrenders to the Holy Spirit. And together, they, you see God move in incredible ways. And, and so as we, as we close this thing, just think about it, about your threshold. Just think about you standing there and making decisions. And, and yeah, some of them are insignificant and some of them are major, and, and, but we're making decisions. And Esther comes along, and she comes before the king, uh, and really saves the kingdom, and she goes before the king at the peril of risking her life. She surrendered her way, and she surrendered herself for God's ways. And when she did that, she found peace and freedom in life. Have you? Have you surrendered your way to God's ways? You see, so often we can't figure out why we struggle, why we're frustrated, why we uh, go through life struggling to make decisions, why they always seem to not quite work out. But so often it's because we're just pursuing our own ways instead of surrendering to God's ways and really trusting him. Ultimately, in this story, Haman is killed, Mordecai comes in the palace. 
And we have the option of choosing to surrender to Christ and walking in the Spirit with each decision we're forced to make. And I just want you to know that God is involved in your life, that he's moving, that he's calling you. And it really takes getting to the place of holding all these things so loosely and being willing to surrender your stuff and your reputation and what other people think of you and, and uh, what other people do and surrender to the Spirit and live by faith. That's really what the Christian life is. It's by faith, not by sight. And often you're not even aware that God's guiding you until you get off the path and there's this doubt. And then all of a sudden you get disturbed and then you know. Otherwise there's peace. And so I just, I just uh, challenge you today to really stop and consider this, this picture of the book of Esther. And I, I encourage you to read through it and, uh, and really take to heart your decisions that you have to make, even tonight and this week. And uh, just stop for a minute when you make these decisions and think, am I doing this just for me? Is this just all about me and what I think is best? Or am I willing to surrender to Christ? Am I willing to surrender to the Holy Spirit? Am I willing to say, God, I open my hands and you do what you will and I'll trust you. And I, I promise you when you do that, your life will not be boring. <laughs> It'll be this grand adventure, and you'll have the most incredible peace that you can't even describe. Father, I pray that that would be the case for each of us, that you would uh, be the one that's, that's really in the palace in our lives, that you would be the one that influences our thoughts and our actions, that you would be the one that, that we trust. I pray for each person in this room that we would surrender to you, that we would walk with you, that you would use us for your glory. And God, I pray as we uh, make decisions, as we make choices, that we would stop, just briefly, just stop and consider trusting you, surrendering to you, and walking with you, and just use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Steve.